He said, that's what I get for not wearing a sweater. I am, y'all look ugly today. <laughs> Super colorful. No, I thought that we had another little video that was going to fire, which went through um, the entire year of our series logos. This has been crazy because um, puts this into perspective, July, it was actually my birthday, July of 2020, um, in the midst of COVID, I just randomly said, I'm going to study the book of Genesis, just my own personal study time. So I started studying Genesis, and I worked my way all the way through it, and then I just said, I think I'm going to teach Genesis. And so I, had, I didn't have plans on teaching Genesis when I started studying, and I was just studying it. And so, but what an incredible year this has been, studying through the book of Genesis. I want you guys to give yourselves an applause because you have read through the book of Genesis today. In the, past, uh, in the past 15 years, this is our 21st cover-to-cover book to study. So we are a third of the way there. Um, so it's one of my goals is to teach the entire Bible. And I would love to teach the entire Bible um, to this congregation. And so a long time, it's going to take a long time to get there. And so you may not want me that long, but that's certainly a goal. I, I want to tell you this, though. Um, as we started this, since the screen didn't fire up, let me tell you where we've, where we've been. Okay, so we started week one, we started in creation. And then we went from creation to the fall, the sin of man. And then from the fall, we went to the flood. And then after the flood, we went to the nations. And then all the nations are being established. And after the nations, we studied Abraham. And then we studied, after Abraham, Isaac. And then we went from Isaac to um, Jacob, and then from Jacob, we spent the last 25% of Genesis is the story of Joseph. We went to Joseph. And so Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a son named Joseph. Now, Jacob is also who God changed his name to Israel. And Jacob had 12 sons, one of them being Joseph, and they were the 12 tribes of Israel. And so it's really, by the way, it's very distracting looking out right now at all of you. And these sweaters. I just want you to know that. And then this is also a first in my entire ministry. Uh, this, I think, is my 30th year in ministry. I have never had the privilege to preach to Santa Claus. <laughs> but today, <laughs> Pastor St. Nick is here. <laughs> and so, yeah, stand up for us just real fast, please. Please. Oh, <laughs> oh it's so good. So I actually have, I have a rule at our Christmas Eve service. I've laid down a rule, hey, no mention of Santa Claus because I don't want to offend people. Because several years ago, I started wearing a, I wore a Santa Claus hat out to lunch one day. And a lady came up and she was so offended that I was wearing a Santa Claus. She said, aren't you the pastor of the fellowship? I said, I am. She goes, you should be ashamed of yourself wearing that Santa Claus hat. So for the last five years, I've worn that hat virtually every day in December. Um, <laughs> yeah, not to prove a point, but just because that's what I wanted to do. And... Uh, <laughs> And so here's what's crazy, though. So in Genesis, the last chapter, chapter 50, there is something that's just, there are three blatantly obvious things. Blatantly obvious. I mean, I'm talking just in our face, obvious. The first is going to be the burial, death and burial of Jacob. That's what's going to happen in chapter 50. Then we're going to see forgiveness. It is very, very obvious. And then we're going to see the promises. Very, very obvious. So those are the three obvious things that we're about to study. Well, I'm at dinner, and I'm wearing my Santa Claus hat, because that's what I do in December oftentimes. And I, um, I'm out, and I'm not, I'm not thinking straight, I guess, because the lady, one of our waitresses comes up, and I said, hey, can I get more chips? She goes, you mean more cookies? And I'm like, no, chips will be fine. Didn't register. Nothing registered. She came back again, and she was saying, here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa Claus. I thought, Christmas joy. I'm like, okay. 
Um, and then I'm leaving, and as I'm leaving, she actually says, she goes, hey, I've been nice this year. I said, that's good. <laughs> and, I, and I keep walking, and my, my son says, you, I go, I, actually, I said, I go, what is her deal? He goes, it's probably the Santa hat. I'm like, oh, it's totally the Santa hat. I'm like, it was very obvious, but I was just not engaged in that moment. But we have some very obvious moments. So let me pray, and we are going to complete the 21st book of the Bible as a church body. That's incredible. God, I thank you for the privilege of your word. I thank you that today as we come in, we are able just to lay our hearts bare before you and be reminded that we worship you. We don't worship the things of this world. We worship you. And so, God, at the heart of Genesis is a worship of you. I pray, Lord, that you would let us see with clarity today just what it means for us as your people to understand the book of Genesis, the beginning. What it is that you wanted us to take from the entire book, Lord, let it all come together today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody in the house said, amen, amen, amen. So, Jacob has now died. We saw him give his last words last week to his sons. He has now died. And this is where we pick up chapter 50, verse 1. It says, Then Joseph, which is his son, one of his sons, fell on his father's face and wept over him, and he kissed him. So Joseph has been through a lot in his life. Joseph has been betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, literally exiled from his homeland. And so Joseph has been through quite a bit in his life. Grew in power to become the second most powerful person on planet Earth. Right behind Pharaoh. But here it says that Joseph fell on his father's face and he wept over him and he kissed him. What's, what's personal about this for me is I can tell you that um, anytime we lose someone, it, it hurts. I know this. I mean, I, I would tell you that I've lost dogs and I've fallen apart. Um, I've lost friends, and it wounds deeply. But I don't know what it is about a parent. Um, when we lose a parent, there's a piece of us that internally dies with them. And, and I don't know how to put it into words, but anybody who's walked through it, you can, you can associate with that. And I think what's happening here is we're watching Joseph. This is where he is facing real grief. Not just grief, but real grief. I'm talking the grief that in the pit of your stomach. And many of you have been there before the pit of your stomach, you just can't, nothing will relent. And he's feeling this, and he's facing this, and he falls on his dad, and he just begins to weep over him, and begins to kiss him. I was doing a funeral, this is several, several years ago, but I was doing a funeral, and um, one of, and I don't remember if it was the mom or the aunt, but it was one of the ladies, as they were walking by the casket, literally was trying to crawl into the casket. Like, just trying to crawl, and I've watched every person who walked by, they were kissing, and they were touching their loved one. And I see this in Joseph's moment here, just going, he is, all the grief, all the regret, all the pain, everything you can imagine is flooding out of Joseph right here. It says in verse 2, and then Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. This wasn't typical for them to do for anyone other than an Egyptian. So the physicians embalmed Israel. That is Jacob. Israel is Jacob. Verse 3. Forty days were required for it. So it took 40 days to embalm. Um, I'm not going to be... I won't, do you want me to tell you? I'm not going to tell you how they did their embalming. Um, I, no, I'm not telling you. Okay, I don't want to gross people out today. 
But it's pretty wild. If you ever want to see something wild, look how the Egyptians did their embalming process. Especially how they extracted the brain. Okay, so it says, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him 70 days. They wept for him and they wept with him for 70 days. They were weeping with Joseph. Joseph is beloved by them. Again, he saved their economy. He's over their economy. And as I look at this idea of him weeping over for 70 days, a pharaoh was weeped for for 72 days. But in Egyptian, they spent 70 days. And I find myself sometimes wondering when I look around, and I know some of my brothers and sisters are, are suffering or going through things, and, and I feel bad. I feel, I feel an extreme amount of guilt at times uh, for where I can't be and where I am not. Uh, but I also am reminded, and I want to say this to you guys today because I love you and it's almost Christmas. It is not my job to take care of everybody in this city. It is my job to make sure that everybody in this city is being taken care of. And we have over 400, 400, I think it, it might be closer to 500 now, men and women in our care ministry, which Don Dye leads. Don Dye is sensational. And that, our care ministry takes care of the body. And they do a phenomenal job caring for the body. In fact, I will tell you, starting the year, if you aren't, don't have a ministry, get into the care ministry because we need more people taking care of the people, not just in our church, but in our city. But what I would tell you is, in this moment, the Egyptians were caring for Joseph. It says in verse 4, And when the days of weeping were passed, that 70 days had passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh. So if I have found, he says if. Are you kidding me? If? Joseph has saved their economy. Joseph has had, had a massive impact if I have found favor. Pharaoh has given him incredible favor. And what he's actually saying here is that Pharaoh will have the same sympathy that all of you are having for me. Then perhaps I need you to go speak to him. And, and here's what I want you to say to him. And again, this is the blatantly obvious section of Genesis, which is the death and burial of Jacob. It says in verse 5, he says, My father made me swear, made, made me make an oath, saying, I'm about to die. In my tomb that I hewned out for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, I want to just pause. I'm going to push a little moth there so I can pause. So this land in Canaan where he is to be buried, this is the first land, by the way. Abraham, Abraham's first plot of land. Remember, God gave three promises to the Hebrew people, to the Israelites, to Israel. He gave three promises, starting with Abraham. He promised that he was going to have offspring. He promised not just he was going to have offspring, but he promised that he was going to have land. And he also promised that his presence, God's presence would be with them. These are three promises that went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob. These are the three promises. So the first piece of land that Abraham ever owned was actually an incredible piece of land. And it was in Canaan. And it is where he, after his wife died, he bought this land, this little cave. And this is where he buried his wife. And so you have... You have Sarah, you have uh, Leah, you have Rebecca, you have Jacob, and now, well, we'll get there later on. All buried in the same spot. But the reason I want to point this out is because this plot of land, that I'm about to die in the land, this land of Canaan. So I got some friends who own land, and they are convinced that the zombie apocalypse is coming. And they're like, this is, this, this is my land. I'll be buried here. I'm going to hunt here. I'm going to dig a hole out. My family's going to live here if something happens. And I love it so much because it's their land. And some of you men in this room, that's you. 
Like you got your land and you know this is, this is it. And when World War III goes down, come to my land. I'll fight you. This is, where, this is where he's at. He's like, this is my land. This is where I want to be my final resting place. And so now therefore, he says, please go up and bury my father. Man, can I go bury my father? Then, he, then, he, I'll, re, then I'll return. So verse 6, Pharaoh answered, yes, yes. Go up, bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh. Do you see this? I want you to see this. All the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of Egypt. So he didn't just say, yeah, you know what? Take your, take your 30 days, 45 days, go bury him, and then come back, and then everything will be normal. He's like, absolutely, you can go. Have I found favor in your eyes? How much favor? Enough favor that Pharaoh sends his servants Sends the elders. You guys go with him. Make sure everything he needs is taken care of. Go take care of him. Go serve him. I don't know that you can, we can understand the gravity of what's taking place in this. Pharaoh sending his servants, his leadership to go down. I mean, it's pretty astonishing. In the next verse, it goes on and he says, verse 15, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, now let me pause because now there's a transition. We go from the burial and the death, and now we're going to come into this incredibly obvious moment where we're going to see um, forgiveness. I almost forgot what we're about to see. Forgiveness. And as we watch this forgiveness piece open up, it's going to speak to some of us. It says, they were fearful. They were afraid that their dad had just died. And like, it may be, it may be, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. His brothers are like, man, this could be a problem. Because the only thing standing between us and his wrath, his anger, might have been dad. And now dad's out of the picture. Oh, boy. What's going to happen now? And they are left definitely living in worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. You may be the worst case scenario person. Maybe you're married to the worst case scenario person. Or maybe you're friends with the worst case scenario person. You know the person I'm talking about. No matter what it is, it's worst case scenario. Like, I mean, it's over the top. Just the can. Nothing could fall apart more than this. This is the more, most fall apart thing that's ever existed. And this is where they're at. They're thinking, man, he is going to hate us. He's going to pay us back. I mean, after all, they did throw him into a pit, sell him, and go lie to their dad and say that he had been mauled. He's dead. He, they're thinking worst case in verse 16. So they went ahead and they sent a message to Joseph. So this is modern day. Here's what happens here. Modern day, if you think there's a problem, you think something bad's going on, now a lot of people like to get behind a keyboard and type out their you know, keyboard warriors. You know what they are. Type out all their thoughts or fears before they have a face-to-face -face conversation. That's what they're doing. They're just sending a text message early. And they're saying, hey, so they just wanted to make sure. They said, you know that what Father commanded before he died, which, by the way, there's no documentation that this ever, was, this ever took place. This could be a lie. It could simply be that they just wanted to push this forth. There's no documentation that this took place. But they said, in verse 17, say to Joseph in the text message, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin. This is what dad said. And they did, as they did evil to you, and now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So it's not just your brothers. They didn't send a text message saying, hey, forgive your brothers. Like, forgive not just your dad's sons, but they're servants of God. 
If you want to please God, you better forgive them. Like, this is, this is really good stuff here. Forgive them for the transgression of the servants of God. And then it says that Joseph wept when they spoke. He wept. He wept. They're saying, hey, we're sorry. These servants come. Hey, we tell, we're sorry. This is what's taking place. And he weeps. You know why he's weeping here? He's weeping because he's like, are you kidding me? Are you joking? You sold me to, into slavery. I welcomed you into Egypt, Egypt when famine hit Canaan. I brought you guys in. I gave you land. I gave you money. I gave you resources. I've taken care of you, your kids, your wives, everybody. I've taken care of everybody. What are you talking about? Like, what are you even talking about? He was so wounded and offended at their question that he's weeping. He was hurt. You've, all of us, again, have been hurt by something somebody has said. Even when it's not intentional. I don't know if they were intentionally doing this. I think they were trying to cover their tracks. But all of us have been hurt at some level by something somebody has said. I actually was wounded deeply this week by something that my wife said. Why are you laughing? I have feelings, you know. I can't even tell the story now. <laughs> Save myself. Yeah, well, I, I was, we had a, a fuse. Not a fuse. What's the thing? Wasn't a breaker either. What the plug-in thing? Yeah? Outlet. But there's, it's called something else. Where it has the buttons, you push it. G, CFI? GFI. G, it's a GFI. Uh, it's a GFI. And so we had one of those go out, and so I'm like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And so normally she fixes this stuff. <laughs> but she actually had a concussion, she, uh, which is another funny story you hear at another time. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's not funny at all. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you the story. Uh, give me some time to pass. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, wow, yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't know. She goes, just go to the store and just, just swap it out. I'm like, ooh, yeah. I said, I'm going to, you know what, I, I, what about, is it, uh, what about James? I have a friend named James. I go, James, could, I bet James knows how to do this. She goes, I'll shoot him a, yeah, shoot him a text and see. And so she, she, then she looks at me and she goes, wait, wait, is he an electrician? I was like, no, I don't think he's an electrician. But, and she goes, he's just, he's like, he's just a man. <laughs> that, that wasn't intentional, I know. But man, the more that sat on my shoulders, the heavier the burden became. <laughs> and that is not how she got her concussion, by the way. <laughs> uh, so he's wounded. Like, he's feeling the weight of this. And then he's going to respond in verse 18. He says, his brothers also came, and they fell down before him. So they sent the text message. They sent messengers ahead, said all this. And now they're going to fall down behind him and say, behold, we are your servants. So they're saying, we are fully surrendered to you. Joseph's already forgiven them, and they're still coming to seek forgiveness. Again, I don't know that there's much worse than when you've let something go and people continue to apologize for it or continue to act like something is wrong. Just let's go. Let's move forward. Just, let's keep moving forward. It's going to be all right. They did, and they fall in front of him, and they're just, we're your servants. And in verse 19, and Joseph said to them, he's like, guys, guys, do not fear. For I am, am I in the place of God? He's like, what are you guys doing? Why are you in fear? Because I am not the one that you need to be concerned about. I have forgiven you. 
And so my work with you is done. Where are you with God? And I think this is the thing a lot of times is the reason that we hold on to guilt, the reason we hold on to anger, the reason we hold on to bitterness is because we're able to forgive the person. Yeah, 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 we say we forgive them, but we've actually never repented for the sin of that anger or for that bitterness or for that guilt that we want to put on other people. We've never actually repented on that. So what happens is we'll deal with person to person, but we neglect actually dealing with God on a real wholesome level. And so what Joseph's doing is like, look, I'm, I'm not God. I had a lady, this has been um, several years ago. I, I believe that it was in this room. It might have been in the cafe, but regardless, uh, she came to me, she said something to me, and I didn't understand what she said, but it was okay. I'm like, it's, it's fine. And so I keep going about my business, and then my wife and I are um, walking, down the ha- walking down the hallway, uh, and this lady, she, it was here, so she's walking down the hallway, and this lady comes, and she falls down in front of me, like just falls down on her face. Like, please forgive me, please forgive me. I'm like, are you, what are you even smoking? Like, what are you doing? Like, get up. Like, I have not thought twice about it. Not, I haven't thought about the event. I didn't even think about it when she said it. But she was so broken up. And this is what I see the brothers. And I see Joseph in that same moment going, get up. What are you doing? You need to deal with God, not me. And as he's correcting them, as he's pointing them back to the right place, he says, as for you, here he goes, verse 20. You've heard this before. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. This is, by the way, if you took the entire summary of Joseph's life, of Joseph, this is the summary verse for his life. Last week when we were closing out of the week before, um, Ryan Owendowski was closing this out, and he actually made mention Joseph's job, because he did not, Jesus did not come from that line, his job was to preserve an entire group of people. Joseph's job was to preserve a people that were, would have been dead, that would have died through the famine, they would have been ravished through the famine. His entire job, his position biblically, was to preserve God's people. It's pretty wild. But what I want you to see here is he says, what God meant for good, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. This verse is oftentimes um, misquoted. I hear people say, you know what, I mean, God, you know, it's meant for evil, but God's for God's good. We're gonna, it's going to be all right. Um, and we hold on to this verse, and it's probably not a terrible verse to have a biblical concept of. But what I need you to hear, and I need you to hear me clearly, this does not mean, this does not mean you're not going to suffer. This not, does not mean you're going to walk the life because you are a Christian, and you're not going to have trials of all kinds. It's really wild to me to watch people get angry at God when they or a family member gets sick. It's odd to me to watch people respond to God in such a way because this world, this life, it is temporary. This is not our everlasting home. And we were never promised to not have issues, trials. or. In fact, as Christians, we know that sin has a broken world. Sin broke the world. And so we should be even more receptive to understanding illness, sickness, frustration, death, because this is a biblical consequences to sin. And it's clearly explained in Genesis. It's clearly explained throughout the scriptures. I'm not saying you should celebrate when you get bad news, but I am saying, I mean, Peter said this. First Peter's like, don't be surprised when trials of all kinds come your way. Psalm 23 says, yea, though I walk around the valley of the shadow of death, is that what it says? No, what's it say? 
through, in the middle of. You're going to walk through stuff, and it's in those times that we have to keep our eyes fixed on God, absolutely, but understand that getting angry, bitter, turning away from God, running from God in those moments is just such a crazy idea. He's like, look, I know what you meant, but now I know what God meant. And it wasn't just that God meant this for good. Watch this, verse 22. So Joseph, he remained in Egypt, and he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. Here we go, verse 23. We're going to get into the promise now. We're getting into the promise. So it's the death and burial, and then it's the forgiveness. He has forgiven his brothers. He's like, you got, guys, take that up with God. We're good. Verse 23, Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Now, we don't, we see this, we read this, we're like, okay. Ephraim is Joseph's son that he actually had in Egypt. But to the third generation, we are literally witnessing what Abraham was promised, offspring. That promise was passed on, that was his son to his son, now to, now to Joseph, it's to him. It's his promise as well. So we find ourselves looking at this going, God promised offspring, and here you've got great-great-grandpa Joseph watching his kids grow up. Manasseh's sons were also counted in, in this, so he's seeing his family expand. Verse 24, and, Joseph's brother said to, and Joseph said to his brothers, now I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of this land and the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He's like, look, God is about to do something here. He's like, I'm about to go away. He's about to go away. He had made the promise that he was going to tend to his family. I will tend to all of your needs. He's like, but I am now going to go away. You are going to not be able to depend on me. He's saying, you are going to have to turn your eyes away from me and fear of me and what I'm thinking and what I'm doing, and you're going to have to put your eyes on God. I would tell you inside of a biblical marriage, this is exactly what has to happen to be healthy. You cannot look to your spouse to make you happy, to fulfill you. It's never going to work. We turn our eyes and we see God in his fullness and who he is. God is who fulfills us. And Joseph is telling his brothers, you want joy in life? You want peace? You want to walk with your head up, your chest out, your shoulders back? You're going to have to turn your eyes to God. To God, because I'm about to go away. Now he will bring you up out of this land, the land that he swore. This is the land that God swore, that he promised. This is his promise. So in this, ultimately what you see is you see that God does visit you, that's God's presence. The land, it's taking you back to the land, that's the original promise. So his presence, offspring was in the last verse, and now we see again his, plan, his presence, and we see land. I just want you to kind of hear this repetition, because God's presence, offspring, and land, it's been repetitive, hasn't it? Chapter after chapter, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, now to Joseph, and now Joseph is telling his brothers. It's been repetitive. And any time in the scriptures God repeats something, it means it matters. It means it's pretty important. And so here we go, verse 25. I like this. Then Joseph is going to just sort of derail the conversations, and he made the sons of Israel swear. He made them make an oath. He made them actually say out loud. He made them make a statement of faith. You know, sometimes when we worship, when we're actually singing, these are statements of faith that we should be shouting out. They're statements of faith. And that's why we engage, and that's why we do this together. But listen to this carefully. That Joseph made his sons of Israel, these are his brothers, make an oath saying, 
God will surely visit you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. So I'm going to be gone, but God is going to be here. His presence is going to be here. Now, from this moment, there's lots of debate, lots of discussion around this particular verse. Chapter 50, verse 25. And it goes all the way into Jewish tradition, rabbinical teaching, into the Torah. It also takes modern-day commentaries. People write about this. The question is, especially around Christmas time, this makes sense for us. The question is, was Joseph actually speaking in a prophetic voice? Was he making a claim to say, hey, I know that God has been faithful to me. He has revealed himself to me. He has spoken to me. He is going to speak to you. Is he just simply passing that on? Or was he saying something bigger? And here's the two stories that this particular moment in Scripture revolves around moving forward in all of the Scriptures. Pick up the first one. 800 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Hosea says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So Israel is the name of Jacob, right? Twelve tribes. I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. So the first one, the first, is, okay, this was actually Joseph letting his brothers know that they were going to actually leave Egypt. And we know that this does take place. Because as soon as Genesis ends, by the way, you can pick up an Exodus. It's like the same story continues to go. We could just continue going. We're not going to do that next year, but we could continue doing that. Moses led Israel out of Egypt. Led them out. And so Israel, Jacob, which God loved, he called them out of Egypt. That's one. Now, 800 years before Jesus was born, this is being spoken. And oftentimes we see the prophets, when they prophesy, they talk about things that have happened. They certainly speak about things that are currently happening, and they speak about things that are yet to come. Well, the story of Jesus is pretty well known, but after Jesus' birth in the manger, there's a king. Uh, his name is King Herod. King Herod did not want a king, did not want the king of the Jews, did not want an uproar. And so he actually set a decree to kill every child under the age of two, every boy under the age of two. Going to kill them all. Make sure that this boy that they were proclaiming, the king of the Jews that had been born, which by the way, Christmas Eve, I'm historically going to look at Jesus' life. It's going to be fantastic. But to make sure that this Jesus, this man, this, this young child that was born was killed. So his parents take him down to Egypt. And as soon as King Herod died, Jesus is about two years of age. He comes up back up out of Egypt and he comes home. And so the scholars believe that this is a prophecy speaking of, yes, Moses leading out, but also looking towards what is to come and that God will visit in the form of his own son. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 700 years before Jesus is proclaimed. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel? What does that mean? Say it out loud. God with us. God with us. So when Joseph turned to his brothers and said, you got to understand, God is going to, that word says visit, that's what it said here, he's going to visit you. And actually, he's going to come to you. He will come to you. This is actually Joseph proclaiming. I believe what was proclaimed in Genesis 3.15, which when God proclaimed that there was going to be one that would come to take away sin, this is still pointing us to what is to come, to what is to come, what is to happen. Emmanuel. Joseph was saying, Emmanuel, God will be with you. God will watch over you. He will protect you. He will guide you. He will lead you. He will stir your soul. 
It's a promise. It wasn't just the promises of the land. It wasn't just promises of God's presence. It wasn't just God's promise of, of offspring. It's also God's promise that he would come. Isn't it timely for us to end Genesis? When he will come. Last verse in the book of Genesis. I feel sad. I don't want to read it. So Joseph died. Being 110 years old, they embalmed him and they put him in a coffin in Egypt. So, the way I would end us today, knowing that we've studied this entire book, I would take us to the beginning and now just let it land on the end because I think this is our, our reality. Genesis begins, it starts in the beginning, God created. It starts with life. It starts with God breathing. It starts with life. The very last verse in the book of Genesis, it's death. Now, in the middle, obviously we know why death came. It came because of sin. But God created and breathed life, and then we see death. And this is the story of every single human being who will walk on this earth. There is a creation, a moment of birth, and then there's a moment of death. And I believe that the book of Genesis creates in us, it created in me, as I studied this personally, what it created in me was a deep desire to understand, one, how faithful God is, but two, how short life is. I see Joseph lives 110 years. You see that? You're like, wow, that's a big, long life. Nothing compared to eternity. And I would also say this. I would want you guys, I would want us to understand the book of Genesis, starting with life, ending with death, there is something in the middle that God wants, and it was to encounter him. And that's what happens in Genesis. God creates, there's death, but in the middle, he encounters his people. I think we're done with Genesis. Yeah, give yourself a hand. God, thank you for the privilege. Thank you for the privilege of your word. I thank you that um, through this study, we've been able to see such a broad stroke of your character, your nature, your design, what you hope for us. Lord, even in the end here, as we are reminded that you are God who makes promises, as Joseph demonstrated, God, you are God who forgives. And Lord, I'm just tethered to the idea and to the reality that you created, you breathed life into each and every one of us. I know that this on today, you've appointed each man, not just when they would die, but the time that they would die. And so, Lord, you have given us a season, a moment between our creation and our last breath on this earth to know and understand and to trust you. And so, Lord, that's my prayer over my church family today is that you would let us be men and women who trust you deeply, men and women who understand what it means to walk in faith, men and women who understand that new beginnings oftentimes come with a bang, a flash, but everything fades away but not you. That's why you remind us towards the end of the Bible, First John, that the world and its desires, it's going to pass away. But your word, your truth, your promise, it is truly everlasting. So Lord, I pray that this study is, my brothers and sisters who have endeavored in this, that you would let these words carry them all the days of their life. Let the stories, let the moments, let the word, let the, the lines the dots connect in order that we would walk faithfully before you, a holy and righteous God. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We 
thank you for this incredible book. We receive both in the name of our Savior. Everybody in the place said, amen, amen, amen. Amen. Joseph.